to the next generation of dreamers. Happy Tuesday from Fitting on the Air podcast. Sir Richard Branson stowing away on his vessel, the Virgin Galactic's VSS Unity spacecraft, to the edge of space is what I dreamed of when I was a boy. Before John Glenn orbited the Earth, there were several holds and delays before the actual blast-off on February 20th, 1962. So what, Fitton? Those delays were slightly frustrating for fans of the NASA Mercury program. If you were an 11-year-old kid jammed inside a cardboard replica of Friendship 7, your feet propped up like John Glenn, and your entire body motionless in the confined area, it might get challenging as the blood settled downward toward the brain. And the only thing to look at were the lighted up bulbs across the control panel like the Mercury capsule panels. I actually found a photo of a kid looking out a portal window of that exact Mercury replica. Naturally, I photoshopped that hotshot out of the picture and installed myself, fourth grade photo, into the pseudo Friendship 7. And I sprinkled stars and nebulae from Hubble in the background. There I am, dreaming away. I know my parents had their watchful eyes on my spacecraft that never left the ground. They probably talked about it with their friends as they wondered what their kid was doing inside a cardboard ship in the living room. Glenn had a problem with his heat shield during re-entry and I staggered out of my capsule feeling as if my eyes were going to pop out of my head. That was the first and last living room flight for astronaut Fitton. Living to see Branson fulfill his dream of going into space is awe-inspiring. This isn't a new TV series or a well-trained astronaut lifted high above the Earth's curvature bordering dark space. It's truly just the beginning of space flight, like a new Western Air Express commercial plane between cities in the early 20th century. Dreaming is important. There was Gene Roddenberry dreaming about Star Trek as wagon train to the stars. I would watch my father, a hard-working guy who rose at 4 a.m. to deliver milk, become comically apoplectic to the antics of the lazy, double-crossing opportunist Dr. Zachary Smith, the aberrant stowaway on Lost in Space. I always liked how Jonathan Harris stirred up trouble on the Jupiter 2 and beyond, but I was also captivated by the fact that Robinsons and Don West were on other planets and traveling occasionally in space. I wish John Robinson had just let West unload on Smith just once. If you're going to dream about something, you best be informed by those who know the subject. At the same time I was laughing at Dr. Smith's antics, I was handed a copy of Science Digest from my grandfather, and I began reading articles about science by Isaac Asimov. It was a mixture of inspiration and knowledge. When I was in college, I was ecstatic when I walked into the campus center at UMass to listen to a lecture by Dr. Asimov. I have a portion of that talk, which I recorded at the time. Today I am scratching my head about how Asimov was out to lunch on these predictions but the respect is still there along with the inspiration. I began writing when my father was taken ill and eventually succumbed to cancer. I never talked to him about what he did or didn't accomplish in his life. For me, I wanted to make up stories, but the insurmountable challenges of getting stories out there kept those dreams inside my head. It was only in college when assigned to write a mythology story, I was shocked that I could actually construct a story. The first novel I wrote was a Star Trek novel. I had a lot to learn about the mechanics of writing, but the novel was picked up by an agent and made the rounds in New York City's paperback publishing houses. Rewriting and copyright issues have sent the apex of power to freebie status on my website. 
I would have been happy writing Star Trek novels all day long. There have been lots of novels written and a fabulous reboot of the original series Star Trek Continues. I decided I wanted my own take on space with my own characters. The effort is called Galactic Command. The Nebula Planet was the first novel, and Reunion the second story. There is no transporter in Galactic Command. The transporter is a great shortcut to a planet. I wanted that tension which results in rough rides with a ship or trying to skirt enemies during a battle. In the distant future, time is measured by a different calendar, with a few of our months remaining. Aliens have never been discovered, and the life forms that exist are genetically linked to humans and now have new qualities. The ship is powered by a dimensional bending coil that squeezes vessels at high velocity through the galaxy. And what of the crew of this ESS Explorer spaceship? I have emphasized the interpersonal relations seen on Star Trek the original series. That's the glue that holds everything together. One more thing. In Star Trek, there's always a captain who's gone bad or there's a pass to each character. I like that. It provides depth. That scenario runs throughout Galactic Command. Example, Commander Jack Bragg. Branson is offering two free tickets to travel into space. Just donate to Space for Humanity. Let's take a video snoop at Branson and the crew in Zero-G. This is Fitton from Photoshop 7. Good day.